You're listening to Where is the Love? This week, we'll be talking about the January 6th commission uh, hearings that took place this week. Let's get to it. This is Where's the Love? I'm Michael Ware. I'm Melissa Ware. It's uh, another week, another episode. It's been a it's been a uh, crazy week, though, uh, Melissa. We uh, lots of highs and lots of lows. Lots of highs, lots of lows. Uh, had a um, death in the family that I'll talk about a little bit later in this episode. Uh, Alaria was baptized. Mm-hmm. Uh, you had a, a baby shower. Uh, uh, there was a, a, yeah, a friend in, had a baby shower. You up attended. Up in New York City today, yeah. Saoirse and I got to spend some really wonderful uh, time with friends in St. Louis. We uh, did an event hosted by, well, not Saoirse and I. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> although, you know, we're available for speaking engagements. <laughs> Sue should be so into it. Oh man, she. Uh, um, we uh, we we uh, we did. Uh, <laughs> I've completely lost my track. I thought was <laughs> I got to do a really wonderful event hosted by the Carver Project uh, to celebrate and uh, riff off of ideas in our friend Andy Crouch's uh, new book, "The Life We're Looking For," which is excellent. Uh, was joined by John Anazu, Tish Harrison Morin. It was just wonderful to be with those folks. I told a story. Uh, so Andy Crouch uh, in the book has this idea of uh, the dream of impersonal power. And I was reminded of something that happened just on the flight. So but speaking of, for the first time, I had Saoirse on flights by myself. Yep. So that was an experience. Saoirse was wonderful. Uh, she, she was a hit on the airplane. Uh, she loved walking down. You know, it was Southwest, so we were like C-26 or whatever. So, you know, she's walking down the aisle. Everyone else is seated. She thinks she's sort of... Uh, <laughs> so she waved and someone said oh she looks like uh, so regal and, and, I, and I said yeah she's celebrating her platinum jubilee uh, um, uh, but Saoirse did this really started doing this really weird thing with Melissa and I I'm not sure where it comes from but she's been uh, those with toddlers will we'll get this uh, uh, others and be like what um, Saoirse would just ask us to to blow in her mouth, which is like okay, and uh, so you'd blow, blow in her mouth, and she'd go, "I got power," <laughs> and and so we're on the flight, and uh, she 
has to touch everything, of course, and she's she's poking <laughs> out. She's true. like, you know, what's this? And you know, always asking it's, questions. It's, it's the light. What's this? Don't hit that. That'll call the stewardess. You don't need anything. Please don't touch it. What's this? This is the air conditioning. Uh, you, you know, if if we're warm, we could turn it on. And uh, so she goes, you know, Dada turned it on. I turned it on, and then she she stands up in her seat. And puts lifts her mouth up to the air conditioning so it goes into her mouth and she goes, Dada, it's giving me power. <laughs> Which is a really great, I thought, uh, and continue to think a really great illustration of the the pursuit of impersonal power. So that's just a great, great series of story. I did tell another story that you've heard before. Yeah. Uh, which is uh John Orberg's uh, super uh, Muhammad Ali story, uh, which is a great story, and I'll tell it now. Which is Muhammad Ali, who was known as you know referring himself as the greatest, uh, was once on an airplane, and uh, it was about to take off. He didn't have a seatbelt on. The stewardess sees him and says, uh, "Sir, you need to put on your seatbelt." He says, no, I don't. And she goes, yes, in order for the plane to take off, everyone has to have their seatbelt on. And Muhammad Ali goes, I'm Superman. I don't need no seatbelt. And the stewardess goes, <laughs> the stewardess goes, uh, Superman don't need no airplane, which is a great joke. <laughs> I don't remember you ever telling me that one. It's, um, it is in... We just listened to it. Oh, you must have I been zoned it. off. It's in no, living in. You know it's what? in. I was li- listening to most of it, Michael. It's in living in Christ's presence. Why don't I remember that? Yeah, yeah. My mind, honestly, it's mush. I don't remember any, like no, no memory. I'm losing my words, Michael. Like, <laughs> it's a great joke, and I'm so glad you got to hear it. We listened to it earlier this week. I'm I glad you got to hear it for the first time. Yeah, again. out of your mouth. Yeah. Yeah. Superman, no Superman don't need no airplane. Uh, by the way, could not recommend Living in Christ's Presence enough. We had a, uh, to spend a lot of time on the road this week and listen through it again for the umpteenth time. And as the kids stay, say, it uh, it still slaps. It really does. <laughs> I don't think the kids are saying that anymore. I think that's now passe. What are the kids saying? I'm not a kid. It's bussing. It might, yeah, that might yeah, be. Yeah, yeah, Maybe a little bit closer. That might even be a few months old. And yeah, honestly, Dallas Willard is bussing. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, highly recommend Living in Christ's Presence. It's yeah. it's it's a wonderful audio book, especially. Yeah. Yes, the audio book. Please, please do the audio book. It's it'll be really helpful to hear hear. Uh, sort of the inflection of particularly Dallas's voice as he's as he's teaching. Uh, okay, Melissa, let's we've been talking about this hearing. Full disclosure. And, uh, um, I was not able to watch the hearing. I've read about it. Uh, I was it's actually public knowledge that I was not able to watch the hearing because I was doing a live event uh, in St. Louis at the very same time. Um, so I I plan to watch, uh, hopefully tomorrow, watch, but uh, haven't been able to, to, to watch the uh, the hearing yet. 
you were though, and so would love for you to sort of Melissa give uh, tell the folks what you what you saw and what you think they were trying to accomplish. Uh, and I have some thoughts having uh, read about it, uh, but but yeah, why don't you give a synopsis of of what what went down on Thursday? Yeah, so this is for the House Select Committee to investigate the January 6th attacks um, on the U.S. Capitol. And they held their very first primetime hearing this past Thursday, so at 8 p.m. Um, they plan on holding, I think, around six more primetime um, slots over the next month because it, in, in, in this hearing, they kind of laid out exactly where they were going to go and the sort of areas that they've been investigating over the past year and a half. And I mean, like, in, I mean, I, I knew that it was going to be an intensive investigation. I mean, that's that's what that's what this um, this committee is for, obviously. Um, but, you know, they've done a thousand interviews. They had a couple of key witnesses actually come to the stand for this first one. But they really laid out, um, you know, what they would be doing over the next few few weeks, these these six different hearings. But really what they're trying to do is they're trying to show, find evidence that President Trump played a huge role and or was responsible for this insurrection on January 6, 2021 on the United States Capitol. Um, and Liz Cheney, the vice chair of this committee, who is a Republican from Wyoming, um, she was definitely sort of placed as like one of the key spokespeople during this hearing and i mean the whole hearing is it's visceral i mean as a you know from the very beginning within the first 10 to 15 minutes i was thinking to myself uh obviously i've been continuing to follow this particular committee and uh these investigations since the insurrection happened i still remember the absolute shock of watching the insurrection on the tv that day um, that shock hasn't left me, but also I continue to immerse myself in these things and look at, you know, but it was, it, even so, it, they showed some unseen footage um, and really showing the Capitol Police officers really struggling and people getting through. Um, it was visceral video footage and the entire hearing was really well crafted, well organized, well done. You could tell that they that they feel that they truly have found evidence that President Trump is responsible for the, for escalating to this attack. Um, and, and I mean that's huge to be accusing of the United States president. It better be absolutely compelling. It better be the most organized primetime hearing you've ever seen in your life um, in order to actually like come up to that level. Um, but one of, so like one of the like sort of revelations, cause they've been promising for at least the past couple of weeks that there would be revelations, at least in this first hearing and the next few hearings, there will be even more as they go through piece by piece, sort of all of the evidence that they've found. And one of the biggest pieces of evidence that they, that they, um, revealed at this particular hearing, um, and it was revealed by, by rep Liz Cheney, um, that as, uh, they, they received testimony that said, um, as President Trump learned of the mob's threats to hang Vice President Mike Pence, um, this testimony said that pr the president said, maybe our supporters have the right idea, adding that Mr. Pence deserves it. 
this is his vice president, and it, there's a testimony saying that he said these things. Um, uh, the committee also revealed that some, um, actually, actually several Republican con- congressmen, including um, Scott Perry of Pennsylvania, asked the chairman of the Freedom Caucus um, for a presidential pardon after January 6th. Um, and uh, basically, they were trying to show that the president was involved in this big conspiracy theory, the, all these conspiracy theories and massive efforts to spread false and fraudulent information about the election. They showed um, some data, some analysis um, about Oath Keepers and the Proud Boys, two different groups that were highly motivated and were, were at the insurrection. Um, that uh, Remember that debate? where right at the end of the debate, the president, you know, was asked about the Proud Boys and he, you know, he essentially, and I'm very much paraphrasing here, said to, uh, you know, stand by. They showed through data analysis, some analytics on various platforms that um, sort of pledges to these groups increased threefold after he made that statement during um, the, during that debate, that presidential debate. So, I mean, I mean, some pretty damning pieces of evidence just at this hearing already that I, I, for me, I certainly found them compelling. Um, and I'm just going through, the Washington Post has actually a really good article on this, on the what where the committee will go next. Um, this coming Monday, the committee members will share how they think that President Trump tried to steal the election, though he knew he had lost. Um, this coming Wednesday, uh, the committee will detail how President Trump corruptly planned to replace top Justice Department officials with his allies. Um, and then later on, a little bit later into this month, um, the committee will um, spend time looking at the pressure President Trump and his allies put on Vice President um, Mike Pence to overturn the election results of January 6th. Um, and we all know that you know Vice President Pence is on the record of saying you know it was wrong. So that's, that's where they're leading to next with all of these hearings. Watching it, it was compelling, extremely well done and organized. I think it was good for the American people to be reminded, just, I mean, just in general, that this happened, this insurrection. Like, because still even talking about it sometimes to myself or even right now on the podcast summarizing this for you, like, I, I can't believe I'm summarizing something like this. And yeah. the reminder of how much happened and that what the Capitol Police officers suffered because they did have one of the very first attacked Capitol Police officers give one of the two testimonies and she was wildly compelling about how nasty and horrific that day was and how overwhelmed they were. Um, so just she was just a very compelling witness. Yeah, I mean, I think Liz Cheney's testimony was mm-hmm. exceptionally powerful. Yeah. And, you know, if the, if the critique is, you know, this is a committee of, uh, you know, this is a partisan sort of uh, operation, a partisan witch hunt, whatever, mm-hmm. having Liz Cheney sort of lay out the case is smart it's it's right she has sacrificed 
so much over this already, and we'll, we'll probably have more to sacrifice to, to, to come because of her convictions here. And uh, I've just been really inspired by inspired by that. By the way, it's a pretty stark contrast to how impeachment, the second impeachment was handled when, remember, yeah, they had right. the option of adding a Republican to the prosecution, yes. uh, but they decided not to. And I commented at the time, I thought that was a missed opportunity. So this, you know, it seems like a, a lesson was was maybe maybe learned or, you know, it suggests the the fact that Democrats feel less less certain of their uh, sort of hold on political power. You know, yeah. I think the second impeachment hearings uh, were they were gearing up to be in charge of the House, the Senate, and the White House, and and now I, I think they're they feel on the precipice of potentially losing at least the House. Um, I think another fact that came out, and I think this will be covered in greater depth in future hearings, but in her testimony, in her presentation, uh, Congresswoman Cheney mentioned cabinet members, Trump's cabinet members, mm -hmm. considered many options for how to deal with this, including yeah. invoking the 25th Amendment. Yeah. Uh, Mike Pompeo, Betsy DeVos, mm -hmm. which again, so right first, that to me really uh, confirms the gravity of this situation. There's been so much effort put in to like, uh, oh, you know, uh, media and Democrats talking about January 6th, you know, like it was the worst day in American history. What, you know, airheads or like, you know, there's been so much effort over the last year and a half to sort of marginalize, to sort of like make you kind of forget. But the fact that you had someone like Betsy DeVos tell Vice President Mike Pence, mm -hmm. whatever you need... Uh, I, I'm there. If, if you're moving, if, if you mm -hmm. think invoking the 25th Amendment is the is what we need, I'm with you. Uh, suggest that for whatever self-interest or distance from the events of January 6th that some of these folks uh, have received, Mike Pompeo uh, clearly wants to run for president. I'm interested in what kind of cleanup he'll do after some of this news came out. Um, I mean, I, I want to count out the fact that, that, that maybe he won't do cleanup. Maybe, maybe, he'll say, maybe he'll say, yes, I was wrong to be a part of the administration. And, and uh, I think Trump is categorically unfit to be president. Um, that's not the approach that Kevin McCarthy has taken uh, to, to, uh, to, to this, which is, which is to say that McCarthy clearly saw things that way on January 6th and the days after, but sort of revised his position pretty quickly. Um, one more kind of comment I wanted to make was, or really, Melissa, it's a question for you. Okay. Which is, I saw this, again, I haven't watched the hearings yet, so I kind of didn't know what to think, but my interest was sort of perked 
there's this New York Times story in, in the paper on Saturday, June 11th, the headline, January 6th hearing a news event cast as drama, a subhead, a production meant to grab attention. And, you know, reading the story, I mean, the, the, the lead is, you know, the first night of, of the congressional January 6th hearings was not an entertainment. It was the deadly serious reality offering a panorama and a terrifying close-up of a real nightmare. Um, but I still, you know, I was interested uh, if, if sort of, it felt like it was a Hollywood kind of presentation, you know, if it was, you know, we talk a lot on this show and I talk a lot in my work about sort of politics as entertainment. Uh, I, I even thought of some of like Neil Postman's work. And so, so this, seeing this in the times sort of raised some flags for me about whether the, the, the medium and, and the way that they produce the hearing is, is actually going to, like, yes, it could grab a, uh, it could grab attention, uh, but is it going to really uh, result in the in the kinds of civic engagement that we want to see coming out of this and response from citizens? So, so what did you think? It's really funny that you bring this up because I didn't know you're going to bring this up. But one of my last comments on all this um, that I realized that I hadn't really gotten into yet is that yes, the production value is high. But that's because we really haven't had a chance to ever really see something like this, at least in our lifetimes. Um, and we're so used to a Congress that has like an 11% approval rate over the last, you know, couple of decades, you know, very, very low levels of approval. Um, and with pernicious polarization, you know, rising polarization, I think a lot of people expect Congress to just constantly just fail at everything that it does, even if that's not actually true. It's the perception. It's it's the view. Um, I would actually say that one of the reasons why I was so impressed is because it felt like watching this hearing that it was so organized and so well done that it felt like our Congress was doing the job that it has always been meant to do, where if something like this happens, they are assigned a committee like this and the committee goes and does its job and it does its job well and then it goes and tells the American people. And I, part of me almost wants to say on points like this, and this again is my reaction to having watched it, is that sometimes the media, because everything, because our politics is so messy, that's a very cynical way to view what you saw on Thursday night. Um, and that's okay to be constantly cynical because our politics is so cynicism inducing. But I actually, and you know, in the end, like the motivations behind the various members of the committee could have been like, we want high production value. We need this to be entertaining. We need this to have like Hollywood level type of slickness to it. And sure, I wouldn't put that past anyone, literally anyone on that, uh, on that committee. Um, but a good part of me wants to actually believe as well that in order to get anything done with the evidence that they've been given, which is showing so far in a single hearing to be extremely serious, that they need this to be the most serious looking 
primetime hearing. And for seriousness, you you need a high level of production. I'm just trying to defend a little bit of this kind of like cynical kind of take of like this is all Hollywood. I Hollywoodish or Hollywoodish looking or I think it's such a serious subject matter. And I think they're I think those committee members are viewing this as possibly the most important role they've ever played as a member of Congress and yeah. they need it to be good and they need it to be compelling and they need the American people to believe the evidence that they found because of conspiracy theories, because people can write things off, because spin can be put on literally anything that's said. They need things to be locked tight, airtight. Yeah, well, I, I'm convinced. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm looking forward to, uh, you know, I, I really want to, uh, see, see the the hearing is one thing to read about, uh, read about them. But I mean, one thing is, is clear: a, a lot of thought was put into how this was going to be presented to the American mm-hmm. people, um, and so uh, I, I'm 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 going to put aside the the time to 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 watch it. Um, I think that's the main thing we wanted to discuss uh, on. On this episode, uh, would again, you know, like to thank folks for listening to the Morning Five, and it's been fun doing that. It's now all on the same. Uh, it's all under Where's the Love, and so if you're if you've subscribed to Where's the Love, you'll get the Morning Five Monday through Thursday. I did want to sort of close with kind of a personal comment which is um last week my last week we lost uh, my uncle jerry who was uh, jerry gambino who was uh, a lawyer um did workers comp cases represented unions uh, I was really proud of him for that. He's also an incredible, incredible man, incredible father, incredible husband, and he was a great uncle. Uh, both uh, all of the all of the male cousins in the family, my, my, myself, my cousin Charlie. Had Jerry in our wedding parties. Um, this is just kind of the guy, the kind of guy he was. Um, and, and I think, like the thought I wanted to share was, um, so he was battling with leukemia, and uh, the chemo treatment seemed to be going going well and it seemed like he was gonna gonna make it and i won't go into all the details but uh but um he was he was he got a bone marrow transplant things were really optimistic until until they weren't and um i remember thinking you know, do, how, how like do I do I reach out to him? Do I do I tell him sort of everything that he 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 meant to me? And my thought was, 
you know, prognosis is good. I think the main thing is like for him to like keep fighting and basically I just didn't want to make him feel uncomfortable. Like I didn't want to make him feel like um make him feel like I was saying sort of la- like parting words when you know my my thought was like he needs to feel good about things and you know men are sometimes weird about feeling vulnerable and and uh sort of uh like um you know being seen in like a state of weakness so i honestly thought like oh, i'll just like spare him spare him that and we'll have plenty of time uh for for me to to tell him everything he's he's meant in my life um i, I don't know if i would have had the gall to you know, I'm a blue collar kid from from Buffalo and didn't have in my immediate family like a whole lot of examples of folks chasing after dreams and that kind of that kind of thing, but Jerry was was the most proximate person to me who um was a serious serious man who took his responsibilities seriously um, uh, and pursued education, got a law degree and and really made a life for himself and and his family and that like that meant a lot to me to have that example in my life um, and I wasn't uh ever able to sort of lay that out for him in the way that I wanted to because just in a flash he was gone and so you know I think the word I wanted to leave was um you know uh don't be so deferential to sort of sense of propriety or not wanting to make folks feel comfortable I have someone else in my life a business mentor who means a great deal to me as well, uh, who's facing some health issues. And uh, I am reaching out to him, no matter how uncomfortable sort of he, he feels about it, and letting him know what he's he's meant to me. And I just wonder if there are folks uh, listening who have someone in their life, uh, maybe they don't, they aren't even facing health issues at the moment, but uh, they just need to know uh, what what they've meant to you, and I would encourage you to uh, to write that letter, to make that phone call, to schedule that coffee. Melissa, anything to add before we we close the episode? No, I I've been with. I mean, I'll I'll just say this about Uncle Jerry. Um, Michael and I've been together for seventeen years, and so over that time of uh, came to just love him. He was he was a very, he, as Michael said, just a, a wonderful a wonderful man and a really great uncle. He was immediately ac- accepted me into the fold, and I'll definitely be forever be grateful for that. Yeah. So, uh, to Uncle Jerry, uh, this has been where is the love? Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Bye.